All right, so let's make it plain. Welcome back to the Make It Plain Wayne podcast, where we will entertain, we will heal, and we will build you up. I am Wayne, and this is Elevated Friendship. So, for today's topic, I want to talk about Shakari Richardson. Um, I've absolutely enjoyed and loved watching this um, young lady run. Um, I feel like many coaches have coached a Shakari Richardson. Um, so a lot of what I've seen on screen, the nails, the hair, the body language, the breathing, the movement, all of it, I know her, you know? So for a lot of people that get rubbed the wrong way by her, like, please stop and just think about the psychology of people. So this whole thing with her being, um, taking, you know, the doping and marijuana and, you know, being, you know, uh, suspended for 30 days. I in no way, in no way am trying to tell the doping agency or whomever does tests or whoever makes the rules and regulations. I in no way am condoning that people use the things that bring up the red flags. You know, if anything, there's probably been people that know how to get around the test or know how to take things that don't show up on the test and have passed with flying colors. And I mean that, I mean that specifically for uh, our athletes in the eighties, no disrespect to them, but I've had several coaches and, and several, several industry veterans that know running track and field and the business just tell me if you open up that book and do the year analysis now, everything, <laughs> everything that you find is, is out of line. It's a little bit too much B12. There's a little bit too much this, a little bit too much that. So after, you know, watching her heartfelt uh, interview on today, you know, the, the morning edition of today and watching her go through all this, I'm like, hold up. How are we handling these athletes after death? You know? They're in mourning. They've lost someone very powerful and pivotal in their life. And at that moment, I got to stop and say, okay, let's look at the psychology of this thing. Okay. Like if you've got millions and billions of dollars to, you know, have the best doctors to, to do the best things to have all, well, it doesn't matter. Like you're still a human being and you're still going to age. Like nothing that you do as a human being is going to stop you from aging. If you can tell me what day it is right now, you've already experienced aging. Because the moment I started talking and the moment you heard me, you have aged. (laughs) So when people say that money will do it, money can do a lot of amazing things. But ironically, the richest people in the world aren't the best looking people in the world. So make that make sense. If, if, if money was everything, why aren't the people that are on top looking better than absolutely everyone that you see in fashion, in sports? And because they don't care. The, the money doesn't change uh, 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 your root. The money doesn't change your soul. It can change your mind. It can change your decisions. It can definitely afford you a lot of amazing things and, uh, you know, some some opportunities. Yes. But it, it, it does not change your fingerprint unless you pay, pay for it. Um, 
But in a moment like this, I'm looking at Shakari, and I'm thinking, uh, this sport is not more important than the trauma and psychology of you. Everybody, well, she shouldn't have broke the rules. 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 And what I'm saying is, let's back away from the rules for a second. I want you to tell me a time when life was hard, when life was bad, when life was just miserable for you and you made all the right decisions. Did you make all the right decisions? That's my question. You're mourning the loss. And when she said biological mother, that shows me right there that they didn't have the, the, the type of relationship that you would see on, on a TV show as far as a mother and a daughter. That that loving, warm, you know, I lost my mother, my ace, my top, God. Uh, they didn't have that relationship. So maybe they were in the process of trying to, you know, bridge that gap and build it. She ran up into the stands and hugged her grandma after she won uh, the 100-meter dash uh, at the Olympic trials. She ran up and hugged her, her grandmother in a way that showed me exactly what I needed to see from her character. It, it was a rescue hug. It was a I'm so tired hug. It was a I just lost a big part of me hug. It was a oh my God, the weight is too heavy for me to bear type of hug. So here's my question, okay? I want you to lose your mother. And then go, because money is on the line, because status is on the line, because greatness is on the line, I want you to make all the right decisions. No HR complaints. All the money needs to be filed the exact way. Your kids need to be fed. You got to drive to work. No speeding tickets. I, I want you to understand and feel what she felt. Now, she's not the only one. Okay. I sat and watched... Uh, uh, a special on Buster Douglas. It was a 30 for 30 on ESPN. I absolutely fall for it every time. 30 for 30s get me every time. Even if I haven't played that sport or been in that sport, like especially like baseball, I'll probably sit and watch because those guys were worshipped and, and they're icons in that time and they're legends now. But it, it's it's funny to see what was behind the scenes and what they were thinking, honestly, as we sit down and talk to them with an in-depth interview. Buster Douglas was in no way, uh, in no way feared, celebrated, or praised like his dad. If anything, his dad and many people like him thought he was soft. You know, they, they just thought he was just a big, you know, <laughs> he's just a big suit rack. <laughs> it's like, that was... That was the best you could do is, you know, just just put suits on him. He doesn't have any real fight, doesn't have any real grit. Buster Douglas lost his mom. OK. Now, I'm sure I'm 100 percent sure alcohol was around. I'm 100 percent sure that uh, uh, cocaine and weed was around. I'm 100 percent sure those things were around, especially if you look at the, the war on drugs that ironically gets dropped into the poorest community in the country. Hmm. Wonder how that happens. Um, so <laughs> it's like, yeah, how do people on Section 8 
how do people that are poor get drugs? Like it's it's not like some truck just backed up with a a a, a whole load of Nikes from like IKEA and Home Goods and and Menards. It's not like there's a, a whole brimming uh, wealth of of shopping centers in the ghettos in the hoods. So it's like okay, if the mall isn't in the ghetto in the hood, if your oil and export imports aren't in the hood. Like, how are so many drugs getting in the ghetto where the poor people are? Hmm, think about that. So, Buster Douglas loses his mother, no drugs, because that's the thing. He <laughs> People have called him soft all this time. That's a good kid, okay? <laughs> like, yes, he was a boxer. Yes, he was good. Yes, he, you know, had this range and this length and... But that's what he was always accused of, of not having the edge, not having this, not having that. Well, for some people, they just haven't gone through enough yet. When he lost his mom, he went out in that ring, got knocked down, got back up and destroyed Mike Tyson. Now, Mike Tyson has admittedly been uh, uh, an addict for several things <laughs> that are bad. Several things that you should not touch. <laughs> several things that are bad. And, and and if you know what Mike Tyson was doing the night before he fought Buster Douglas, you'd be like, oh yeah, I would have knocked him out too. <laughs> if you can get out of the first round. And people like Bobby Brown have been, even on record on The Breakfast Club, Bobby Brown was like, Mike, you uh, don't you think you should stop? <laughs> it's like when Bobby Brown tells you you should stop, that's how you know it's bad. Because he definitely had a, a, a drug addiction. And I mean, you know, he shared that with Whitney. Um, so Buster Douglas destroyed Mike Tyson in that fight. It was so hard to watch. It was so vivid. And, and it was like watching one of my heroes just get destroyed. But I didn't know what was going on with him. And just think for a second, if the, the trauma of losing your mother could turn you from a punching bag to the deadliest boxer that Mike Tyson has ever boxed, okay? Like, no disrespect to Holyfield, no disrespect to uh, 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 Lennox Lewis. They're strategic. They're great. They're amazing boxers. Two people that I think would dominate today, I think like Tyson and, and uh, uh, Tyson Fury and uh, Wilder, I think Holyfield or Lennox would destroy either one of them. That's just my own personal opinion. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But what I'm saying is Buster Douglas destroyed Mike Tyson, destroyed him. And no, Mike Tyson probably wasn't in his right mind if, if you know what he was doing the night before. No, he probably wasn't his healthiest self. Uh, yes, he was probably spoiled. But like, if losing your mother could impact you that greatly to where you go from being a coat rack a suit rack, a punching bag, a tomato can to destroying the most vicious boxer, you know, we had seen since, you know, Ali and Frazier. What does that say about what that loss does to you? So here's the other thing. Isaiah Thomas, who played for the Boston Celtics, loses his sister, is playing in NBA playoffs. It was Celtics-Bulls, classic rivalry. 
before he even got a chance to bury his sister, they traded him. Which, of course, is going to, you know, lead to a lot of backlash. Of course, you got like the players unions and you've got people that, that criticize that because you do get kind of traded like baseball cards. You, you know, it is kind of like mind numbing to think that, wow, I could just I'm, I'm scoring all these points and doing such a great job for this team. And they just trade me to the Clippers. Now, don't get me wrong. The, the Clippers, you know, they did well and got up to, uh, you know, the Western Conference Finals. But, I mean, they didn't beat the Suns. <laughs> and at this day, presently, it is, you know, it's, it's Friday, it's January 2nd, or July 2nd. So, uh, I don't know what to tell you. Was that a better move for the Boston Celtics? You know, later get Kyrie? I don't know. But he lost his sister. And... and the very system that makes the rules, the very system that he is playing for, the very system that has given him millions and billions and all of that just trades him off. Like, he was playing good. Like, dude, boy, was balling. So, these athletes after death, what they choose to do after death, uh, it has nothing to do with the money. It has nothing to do with even the sport. How are they built in their psychology? How was Buster Douglas built in his mind? How was Shikari Richardson built in her mind? Then let's go to Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods lost his dad in 2003. I mean, he's got all these masters, these green coats. Um, about six years later, I believe at the time, I remember hearing guys telling me that Tiger Woods went from this little skinny kid to now this buff linebacker looking dude. And I mean, you know, I, I the rumor is he just had so many women, he could he lost track. Well, he married Ellen Nordgren. I believe she was a volleyball, no, not volleyball. I believe she was a, I can't remember. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. Was she a tennis player or a model? All I know is she looked like perfection. The, the woman looked like perfection. It's like one of those perfect images of women. It's like you, you got her, you got like Alicia Keys, you got people like um, uh, uh, Naomi Campbell, or uh, <laughs> God, what, what's the young lady's name? Lupita Nyong'o. You know, like these women with perfect skin, perfect smiles. They're just like the, those perfect presents. Uh, Charlize Theron, <laughs> Halle Berry. Um, well, they had that car crash and in 2009, this is six years after his dad died. And then, you know, they divorced in 2010. Ne needless to say, after Tiger Woods' dad died, he let loose. He had his fun. Like he, he, he did his, he's party all the time, party all the time. He did his thing. And then now after another car crash, you just kind of wonder like, Man, does he have a drinking problem or, you know, it, are, are we coming back to it, some old demons? So it's like the sport will never be more important than the trauma and the psychology of the person. Like, here's the thing. When you're put in, when you go, when you go to court, they don't sit down and ask you how much money you made. They don't sit down and ask you what kind of athlete you were. When you go to court, they don't sit down. They don't care how many sneakers, 
how many fans, how many Instagram followers. They don't, they don't ask you what everybody said to you on the way in. They don't ask you about your moral code or, or you know, what you think you're worth. They specifically go to your mind and your psychology. Now, if they're for you or against you, you find out in your questioning. But back to the Shikari, like, I, I, I can't get on the public bandwagon of just attacking this girl because I understand that there's a, there's something more important here than just track and field. There's something more important here than sports. So while everybody's, you know, jumping on the fence to, to crucify her, she's 21. Most of the Olympic talent that's going to, um, uh, that's going to the Olympics is, uh, you know, almost 30 or 30 or, or more. And Mommy Rocket, Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, I, I believe she's either 35 or 36 with a baby. And that's the thing. Mommy Rocket, uh, uh, Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, legit. So amazing. Then you get Elaine Thompson. Um, and then, of course, now because of this, you get Jenna Prandini going to uh, the Olympics in the 100, which will be fun and awesome for her. She made it in the 200 and did an awesome job. Uh, Jenna Prandini is an amazing Oregon standout and did an amazing job in, in, in the trials. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 it really hurts to see so many people jump on this girl's back. I'm like, when I saw her energy, when I saw her interviews, you know, over the last, I say, like two or three months, when I saw her energy, when I saw her attitude, especially on Mother's Day, like she was like, hey, happy Mother's Day. Don't let me forget. Like, uh, when was that? This was early May. <laughs> like, go go look at it if you want to. She was like, yeah, I just want to say happy Mother's Day. Like she she was in the process of building something with her biological mother. And when I saw her energy, the way she gives her interviews, when I saw all that, I'm just like, Oh, you're emotional. I was like, she's super emotional. But <laughs> let me tell it like this. For 100 meter runners, I, I, and I mean this wholeheartedly, 100, 200 specifically. It's the same thing. 100 meter runners. No, let, let me just stay here. 100-meter runners and running backs are the most cocky, arrogant, emotional, alpha male, alpha female, uh, 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 testosterone, hormone-fueled people I know. And, and what's really funny is you get like these, these shot putters, these throwers. I mean, they've got more power than everybody in the whole place. But they'll just be as chill, just laughing and joking, just having the best time. And then Ryan Krauser goes out and, what, throws 73, 75 feet, whatever he threw. And he's like the world leader, world record holder. And I don't know if anybody's going to touch that. But with brute power and precision, these guys walk off and laugh and joke after. Probably because they get to yell. That's what I want to do. I want to do the shot put so I can yell. But 100-meter runners are a very strong, very strong flavor of people. Um, they're going to they're gonna start fights. 
They're going to be a little bit aggressive. They're going to have a, a lot of energy. Um, and that's white and black. Like you, <laughs> Even if you don't see um, a lot of white faces in the 100 meters, a lot of white faces, male and female, in the sprints, like it's 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 if you if you go live in the Midwest or, you, you know, you're around anywhere where there's more white people, you see it. It is a uh, it's almost like <laughs> sprinters are, are, are hardwired to be more emotional, to be a little bit more wild, to be a little bit more violent, be a little bit more arrogant. Um, and it's the same thing with running backs, too. Like you have to be wired up and, and, and set up a little bit different to be in this league and, and, you know, be this personality. You got to be a stronger personality. When you get to the 200 and the 400, it takes a little bit more balance. It takes a little bit more precision because the event requires more patience. So you got to work those issues out. Look at, look at the, the difference in character between these, these two. So, and you find out just talking to them in interviews. It's just a different kind of people. Then you jump up to the 800. You got uh, Brazier, Donna from Brazier. He's out there fly fishing. Then you jump up to like the 1500. The patience is, is what changes that mindset. Now, I'm not saying anything, but like say if Shikari Richardson was a 400 runner or a 400 hurdler, man, 400 hurdlers, especially with uh, uh, Sydney McLaughlin, you got to be a different kind of breed to be a 400 hurdler. You have to be so mentally strong that you do not let anything get in your way as far as that 400 training, the hurdles, clipping hurdles, hitting a step wrong. I'm going to take 13 steps. I'm going to take 14 steps. I'm going to take 15 steps the whole way around. I'm going to alternate at this hurdle. I'm going to alternate at that hurdle. I'm going to be on, 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 on here, alternate here. So, that's what's just so crazy about, um, you know, watching, watching these runners and watching these races is if you watch it the right way, if you understand track and field the right way, you understand it is purely uh, psycho psychology in motion, um, which is what you're seeing. So that's why for me, I can't I can't just jump on her back and say, well, if you, if you do the crime, you do the time like I, I I'm not going to do that to her. This young lady is still mourning the loss of her mother and trying to balance and process the weight of the world again after not, you know, making it to a, a big the world stage. Um, Tiana Daniels beat her in the world stage in 2019. Everybody was calling for Shikari Richardson, wondering if she was just a fluke. Um, but realistically, she probably burned her legs out. You know, she wasn't ready for that training. So, you know, hopefully after Shikari gets done with this summer and, you know, <laughs> comes down off of her, her weed high or, you know, whenever she gets tested, um, she'll get back to business. She'll process her loss because real talk, we know all types of people that need that need a relaxer, that need to chill out. We know all types of people that, that need to take a break. We just don't know how to do it. I, I don't know how you grieve. I don't know how you get over stuff, how you mourn your loss. But Tiger Woods' dad was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 1998. He died from a, a heart attack at his home in Cypress, California in 2006 at the age of 74. 
This was like a, a decorated man. He was a soldier and all that. So it's like to see somebody like that, a rock, when you see somebody like that go, it's going to do something to you. You see what I'm saying? So what these athletes do after death, okay, it reveals who they are mentally. And there is no amount of money that I've seen that improves who you are mentally. You've got to find a way to level up yourself. Not everybody's sitting around with Warren Buffett when they make money. I wish they would. I, I really wish they would. If I can meet him and just sit down with him for at least an hour. Like, not everybody's taking the time when they get this money to say, hmm, what's the smart path, the smart decisions to do here in this, this, this forum of my life? Do I work with a psychologist? Do I blow it on cocaine? Do I go buy cars and shoes? Do I go buy, you know, my family and everybody, you know, that they hook me up? Do I go buy them a house? Like, what do I do now that I got this money? What do I do now that I got this time? Well, I smoke weed to get here. So I'm going to smoke weed now that I am here. So, you know, I don't think it's that easy. I think you do have to hurt. You do have to pain. And you do have to struggle to think, man, I can't really drink because alcohol dries out my body. I just need something to take my mind off of this pain. And that's when, I hate to say it, that's when we, the family, we, the friends, the coaches, that's when we all have got to say, hey, we know who you just lost. Stay with me. Because I know you can go out there and, 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 and lose it. If you need to lose it, lose it on me. Drop, drop it on me. Because to be out drinking and getting drunk and hammered and then risk your chances of healing up and, 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 and you getting hurt, not, not good. Marijuana, it might be a banned substance. So just in case, let's not touch that. So that's on not just her, but her whole team. Because who is going to be in their right mind now that this building collapsed uh, down there in Florida? Like, who's going to be in their right mind when you're just waiting to see your family, when you're just waiting to get them back? They interviewed a woman and she hadn't slept in, in days. So just tell me who's going to be in the right frame of mind mourning a loss. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how strong somebody else was. But I want you to tell me that every bit of trauma, every bit of loss and everything you've been through will not affect you. <laughs> To the point where you can do your job crystal clear, 100% with accuracy. So, hey, these athletes after death mourning these losses is such a huge, huge component and defining moment for the person. I can give a damn about the sport, okay? A lot of these athletes could walk away from the sport when they lose their mom lose their sister, uh, uh, lose their dad. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, what's his name? Um, I believe the mute, uh, Kawhi Leonard. I believe he lost his dad and somehow made some kind of vow to him or something. Something's going on where he made some kind of vow to him 
where it, it it's why he's so quiet. I believe it's why he still has him cornrow braids. So he's such a dominant and amazing player. But now that he's hurt, you know, when guys get hurt, it's kind of a blessing because you see their real character come through because they got to fight through that to get back. And then you, you see who really wants it. So this might be a blessing in disguise for Shikari. Maybe now we'll get to see what she's really all about. She'll fight for it. She'll bounce back. She's only 21. I mean, the body won't run out of speed until you get, I want to say, well into your 30s. I want to say 31, 35. Between between 30 and 35 was when your body says, okay, we've given you enough speed. She's only 21. So she's got easily another 10 to 12 years to run on those legs and do what she's been doing. How do I know? Daphne Skipper's. Uh, uh, Talu, uh, uh, Talu, uh, Elaine Thompson, Shelly Ann Fraser Price, uh, Jenna Prandini, um, God, give me something else. Uh, Carmelita Jetter, uh, I believe Gail Devers, my personal goat, Gail Devers. Um, uh, Morlake Akinosin. Um, there's all these American sprinters are finding ways to hang on. All these Jamaican sprinters are finding ways to hang on. These sprinters from the Ivory uh, Coast, from uh, Africa, uh, and Daphne Skippers um, are just finding ways to hang on. The the two world record holders in the 400 hurdles are um, just now turning like, I believe, 23 and 24. Uh, Carson Warholm, I believe, is 24 now, and uh, Sydney McLaughlin, I believe, is 22, 23. So it's like in three years, we'll be back at the Olympics for 2024. Will Shikari be there? I certainly hope she will. In my heart, I know she will. I believe she will. Um, but even Michelle Obama uh, gave her a big shout out, and her time is not done. Her time is not done. Yes, we would have loved to see her at the Olympics, but guess what? That mommy rocket, Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, this is still her dance. And, and to this day, no one has ran faster than her unless you're talking about Flojo. And it might just be time for her to shine. It might just be time for her to do it. And if I was Shikari, what I would do is I would still go to the Olympics as, as a spectator, as a fan, and give Shelly Ann Fraser-Price mad love. Just Just give her some love, you know? These moms are out here running faster than these women that don't have kids. So things come along to prove and show your real true character. But when you're losing your mom, losing your dad, losing your sister, and you do something dumb or stupid, and the world is sitting there to criticize you, for me, that means they haven't been through it yet. They haven't been specifically you in your shoes processing this loss. And on that, I yield. All right, you all. I love you all. Hope you love me back. Please love, like, and share these messages and have a great fourth celebration. Have a great week. Have a great weekend. Well, at least I hope you did. And uh, yeah, I'll see you soon.